and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Thanks, Jade, for reading, and thanks, Kate, for leading us. And morning, everyone. I'm Ben, the pastor here, a very important person. No, not at all. Um, it's been great. Uh, we've been away as a family the last couple of weeks, and I'm really thankful to, um, to Nick and Jack for preaching the last two Sundays, uh, enabling us to have that break. But uh, also really thankful that we have... Um, a number of men within the church who are so competent and able to handle God's word and and teach it faithfully. I've um, listened to uh, the talks the last few Sundays. If you were away, then I encourage you to do that. Uh, two great talks. Um, we've called this little series over the summer, Summer Singles. So they're kind of four standalone talks. There's no coherence, but as uh, it happens, today's talk does follow on quite closely from uh, what you were thinking about last Sunday in Hebrews chapter 1. So let me pray again, and then we'll get into this passage. Our Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. You've spoken in the past through the prophets uh, in various ways, and in these last days you have spoken uh, by your Son, and we thank you that you've given us within the pages of the Bible uh, a record of your word to us, your word that is living and active. We thank you that your Holy Spirit, who caused John to write these words centuries ago, that same Spirit present here today to enable us to, to hear, to understand, to take to heart and believe these things that you've spoken. So please be our teacher. This morning we pray for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, the popular view today is that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. Uh, maybe that's your view, certainly very common. We're free to believe whatever we like. doesn't really matter what. All that matters is that we're tolerant of whatever other people believe. Claiming that your beliefs are true for everyone, that's just wrong. In our pluralistic society, you just can't do that anymore. Today, we're thinking about truth. And we're jumping into the book of 1 John, a letter written by one of Jesus' closest disciples to Christians in the first century. One of the main themes of this letter is assurance. Um, if you Google one John word cloud, you'll get 
do you know what a word cloud is? Where it kind of takes all the words in a document and um, then the words that appear more commonly are bigger. If you do that, uh, words like God and Father and Son are very big, but also the word no, K-N-O-W, no. Uh, John is all about his readers knowing stuff. And there are a number of times when John says, this is how we know. In fact, I suggest this is why John is writing the book. So right at the end in chapter 5, if you've got your Bible, turn to 5 verse 13. So towards the end of the letter, concluding affirmations, chapter 5 verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants his readers to be certain, to to know that they have eternal life. Does that sound arrogant? You know, how can you claim that you're certain that you have eternal life? How how can you say you're sure that you're going to make it to heaven? Should we rather say, well, I'm I'm trying, I'm doing my best, I hope I'll make it? That sounds more humble, doesn't it? More virtuous, maybe. But if that's what you think, it shows you don't really understand Christianity at all. Because being a Christian is not about what we do and being rewarded for our efforts. It's about what God has done. It's like you asking me, are you a British citizen? And I say, yes. And you say, whoa, how can you be sure? You know, isn't that a bit arrogant? And I'd say, I don't think you understand what it means to be a citizen. I was born a citizen of the UK. It's not about whether I deserve it or not. It's not about anything that I've done. I've been given the rights of citizenship. I'm also an Australian citizen. Didn't earn that either. Well, kind of. You're either a citizen or you're not. So in John's Gospel, written by the same John, at the beginning he says this, To those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God's. Being a Christian means I've been given the rights of a child in the family of God. It's not something we have to strive for. It's something we're given. It's not arrogant to say that I I know I have eternal life. I know I'm a child of God because it's not based on my merits. I'm not saying I'm better than the next person. I'm saying I've been given a gift. So it's possible to know for sure that you have eternal life. But the next question is, well, how? How can I be sure? And that is what John is writing to explain. In the letter, he gives three tests or evidences of a true Christian. The the three are character, love, and truth. So character is living as Jesus lived, obeying his commands. Not perfectly, but That's my desire. That's the direction of my life. Love, particularly love for other believers. Loving other Christians as brothers and sisters. Loving even little children. And thirdly, truth. Belief. And that's what we're thinking about today. There's a body of truth that Christians believe. We will disagree on secondary things, but there is a core doctrine. Core belief, that is indispensable. 
So three tests, character, love, belief. And in the letter, John kind of circles around those three things a few times. So that the letter's a bit like a spiral staircase that you're walking up. And on the walls, there are these three tapestries that have been draped. And as you walk up the staircase, you get a chance to look at each of the three tapestries a number of times from different angles, different perspectives. So that's the letter, little overview to... 1 John. We're going to look at this passage from chapter 2 that was read earlier. And there are two main points for us this morning. Firstly, what you believe matters. What you believe matters. So turn back to chapter 2 and verse 18. Let me read the first few verses again. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So so John says, now is the last hour, the last days. It's the time after Jesus' ascension before his return. And John is saying, this last hour, these last days will be marked by well, we know from elsewhere, by an outpouring of the Spirit, by the growth of the church, but also here by the Spirit of the Antichrist being increasingly active. John's view is that uh, there seems to be a, a singular Antichrist figure who's coming, but the Spirit of Antichrist is already active, and there are many kind of little Antichrists. John says these antichrists went out from us. So he's talking about people who were in the church, who claimed to be Christian, looked like us, but he says they're counterfeits. How does he know? Because they didn't remain. They departed and denied the core doctrine, core Christian belief. Verse 20, he says, you have an anointing one from the, anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. In contrast, verse 22, they deny the truth. And just look at how strong John is in how he talks about these people. He doesn't say, well, they have a right to their opinion. doesn't really matter what they believe as long as they're sincere and tolerant of others. No, no he says they're liars, antichrist. He's very black and white. And it's worth thinking about the way that John talks. It doesn't sound very gentle and humble, does it? Shouldn't he say, well, personally, I'm not sure about the kind of things that they believe, but, you know, I could be wrong. Who am I to judge? Jesus does teach his followers to be compassionate and gentle and humble and not judging of others. But Jesus also delivers some pretty incredibly strong and condemning words to the religious leaders, accusing them of being hypocrites whitewashed tombs, blind guides, children of the devil. I think the distinction we need to make is when someone disagrees with me personally, 
I respond with humility. It's just my opinion. They're only attacking me. It's not that important. But when someone denies the gospel, the central core of Christianity, then there can be no compromise. So humility when it comes to me, but uncompromising assertiveness when it comes to the gospel. And and so we need to be people who adapt how we respond depending on the situation. And that's pretty rare, I think. Usually someone is either meek and retiring or they're bold and dogmatic. We need to be people who are meek, humble when it comes to defending ourselves, but really bold when it comes to defending the gospel. But what is the truth that matters? If what you believe matters, what is this truth? What is John getting so worked up about? Look at verse 22 again. Who is the liar, he asks. It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Now in chapter 4, he unpacks this a bit more. He talks about acknowledging that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The central belief for John is to do with who Jesus is. John's claim is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh, that God has taken on human flesh in the person of Jesus. That was what was being denied. And the particular heresy that John and his contemporaries had to deal with was called Gnosticism, with a silent G at the start. Gnosticism. It's all about knowing stuff. The Gnostics were influenced by Greek philosophy, which said physical matter, bad, spiritual stuff, good. And so God could not possibly have taken a flesh and blood human body. They seem to teach that the divine Christ descended on the man Jesus at his baptism and then departed again before his crucifixion because there's no way that God could suffer and die. Sounds a bit abstract, a bit esoteric, unimportant. No, not at all. Really, really important because the gospel says that we are so sinful, we need God to come down to us and die for us. It is a very great salvation, as we were thinking about last week in Hebrews 1. The only sacrifice that is sufficient to pay for my sin and yours is the sacrifice of God himself. By denying that Jesus was truly God in the flesh, the Gnostics were saying, we don't need such a big salvation. We're not that bad. In fact, they were probably claiming they didn't really have any sin that needed to be dealt with. That's probably what's behind what John says in chapter 1 that Kate referred to earlier. If we claim to have no sin, he's saying that because the Gnostics were probably claiming just that. Now today, there aren't many people calling themselves Gnostics. But there are plenty of people, even people claiming to be Christian, even church leaders, who would say, we don't really need God to die for us. Many who would say that the cross, yes, is an example of great sacrifice and love, but certainly not the Son of God giving his life to pay the penalty for our sin. 
And John would have some pretty strong words to say. What you believe matters. Ultimately, it affects your salvation. There is a non-negotiable body of doctrine that you must believe in order to be saved. So firstly, what you believe matters. Secondly, follows on, the application of the passage is hold on to the truth. Again, very similar to last week. Don't drift away. Hold on to this truth. So verse 24, look down. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. John is saying, let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. Hold on to that truth. Let it continue to be in you, living in you, saturating and shaping your life. So keep reading the Bible. And not just reading it, but studying it, meditating on it, memorizing it. In particular, keep thinking about the gospel. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself. That's what John is talking about, I think, when he says, what you heard from the beginning. It's the message that the apostles proclaimed, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we deserve to die in order to bring us to God. And then he rose in victory over death so that we could live in the assurance of eternal life and have hope of a day when we'll be finally freed from sin's presence, we'll see our Savior's face. Let this gospel remain in you. It's not enough that you heard and believed the gospel at the start of the Christian life. You need to keep hearing it, keep believing it, letting it remain in you. I think the image is a bit like caffeine. Stick with me. You wake up in the morning and you have a cup of coffee. Maybe you get another one when you arrive at church. Maybe another one this afternoon. But not too late in the day to affect your sleep. But you need to keep your caffeine levels up to keep going through the day. Some of us do anyway. That's the kind of idea, I think, here. We've got to keep coming back to the gospel for another hit. Got to keep our gospel levels up. Because we're so prone to forget. And the good thing about the gospel is you don't need to get it out of your system before you go to sleep. You can stay high constantly. Is that helpful? It, I think, means that we probably need more than one slot in the day when we open the Bible. We need to be reminded of the gospel again and again. It might mean taking a few minutes in your lunch break To read through a psalm, say a prayer. Having a Christian book to read on your commute into work. Or or having a few memory verses that you're learning just to keep the truth of the gospel present in your mind and heart. It might be having a playlist of gospel-centered songs to keep that truth remaining in you. All sorts of things you can do. And as we do, John says... As the gospel remains in us, the truth remains in us, we will remain in the Son and in the Father. In other words, as we continually soak in the good news of the gospel, we're not just filling our minds with useful thoughts. We're drawing in to fellowship with God himself. 
This is how we maintain a vibrant relationship with God, by keeping our hearts and minds filled with the truth of the gospel. And thankfully, we're not alone in doing this. We have the Spirit and we have one another. John speaks in this passage about an anointing, verse 20 and verse 27. He says that his readers have an anointing, and he's talking here about the Holy Spirit. As Jesus was anointed with the Spirit at his baptism, so we are anointed with the same Spirit. The word anointed is the word Messiah or Christ. So just as there are little antichrists who embody the spirit of the antichrist, so we are little Christs, Christians, filled with, anointed with the spirit of the Christ. Does that make sense? And it's the spirit who has anointed us, who enables us to hold on to the truth, enables us to believe the gospel. So if you find yourself sitting here this morning believing this message about God becoming flesh in Jesus in order to save us, it's not because you've worked it out yourselves, not that you're smarter or better than anyone else. It's because the Spirit has opened your heart to believe. And if you do find yourself believing this message, then it's one of the things that John says should give assurance that you really do have eternal life. I remember when I first heard the gospel, at least understood it, heard that God had come and taken flesh in the person of Jesus and died in my place so I could be friends with him. And I was blown away by that message, so struck. I knew it was true. I didn't kind of go through all the apologetic questions. The spirits had opened my heart to believe and responds, and I thank God for that work of the Spirit in my life. Maybe that's your experience. Uh, Even this morning, maybe the Spirit is working on you so that this gospel message doesn't just interest you, but has grabbed hold of your heart, and you know it's true. Let me say, if that is your experience, and you've never responded to Jesus before, why not do that today? Put your faith in Jesus as the God who became man to save you. Enter into fellowship with him. Maybe you don't have a moment of coming to faith that you can look back on. Maybe you've grown up believing. Praise God for that. It is no less the work of the spirits who has enabled that faith. And as the spirit enabled us to believe in the past, So it's the same Spirit who enables us to keep believing. We need to pray, don't we, for the Spirit to make the truth of the gospel real to us, fresh in our hearts, continue enabling us to believe it so that we're saturated and transformed by its truth. So we have the Spirit, that anointing, but we also have one another. John's command in verse 24 is a corporate one. He's not just saying, as for you, individual Christian, he's saying, as for you, church, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. There is an individual responsibility to let the gospel remain in us, but what I think John envisages here is not just a load of isolated individuals having their own personal quiet time, but a community of people 
in which the gospel is present and active. Reminds us of Colossians 3 where Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now, at the end of the passage, when John says, You don't need anyone to teach you. Where is that? Verse 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. Oh no, I better sit down. I don't think he's saying that we should remove preaching from our services or we should stop kind of reminding each other of the gospel. Uh, what is he saying? In the context, he is addressing the danger of people who've denied the truth, people who might lead his readers astray. And so he's saying, you don't need any new teaching. You don't need something in addition to the gospel. What you need is to hold on to the truth that you heard from the beginning. Grasp the gospel more deeply. Keep allowing God's word to shape your life. And for that, yeah, we need one another. We need teachers in the church. It would be strange as John writes this letter in which he is teaching to say, you don't need anyone to teach you. So this is what we're aiming for at Barney's. We want to be a community saturated with the gospel, speaking the gospel to one another, reminding each other of who Jesus is and what he's done, applying the truths of the gospel into each other's lives. So what we're particularly aiming for in our DNA groups, that will nurture one another's hearts in the gospel, massaging its truths into our lives. And so here's the challenge as we finish. In 2024, how are you going to let the gospel remain in you? Maybe you've got lots of great rhythms and practices, lots of gospel inputs. You're keeping high. Great. Keep going. Or maybe you've got space to add one more. After the service, take some time to share some of the ways that you're making sure the gospel remains in you. Or some of the ways you could do that. In fact, let's do it now. Turn to your neighbor and one of you ask, do you have any ideas for how we can make sure the gospel remains in us? And the other one says, that's a great question. Why don't we talk about that after the service? Okay, just do that. You have five seconds. Do you have any ideas for how we can make sure the gospel remains in us? That is a great question. Let's talk about that after the service. Done it for you. Good. And now be people of your words and do it. So that's how we can make sure the gospel remains in us. Second challenge, how are you going to help the gospel remain in someone else? How can you get some gospel truth into someone else's heart each week? Uh, it could be as simple as a text message. Send an encouraging Bible verse or gospel nugget. Um, you might have other ideas how you could do that. If you don't, use mine. Um, it might take you all of one minute, but so powerful if you've been on the receiving end of just an out-of-the-blue, spontaneous message just wanted to encourage you with this truth. Bible verse. It's great, isn't it? 
If you can't think of anyone else to send a message to this week, I'll happily receive it. And maybe it will become a habit. And we'll grow as a community that is sharing the word, helping each other hold on to the truth. You will not only be a gospel user, but a gospel dealer. Helping other people stay high. (laughs) The truth matters. What you believe matters. So hold on to it. John says, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, that he is God in human flesh. Come to seek us and to save us. Come to die for us. We thank you for this great salvation that means he has made purification for sins, that we can have assurance of forgiveness, of relationship with you, of eternal life. We thank you for those who have proclaimed this gospel, defended and confirmed it over the centuries. And we recognize that that we, the church today, are now tasked with that same um, same need, same mission. We thank you for your spirits with which you have anointed us, who enabled us to believe and enables us to keep believing. And we pray for his work in our lives, individually and corporately, that you would make us a church saturated with the gospel, that we would be people who are um, continually turning our thoughts to the truth of your word, being reminded because we're so prone to forget and reminding each other. Please help us to hold on to the truth by your grace and power so that we might remain in fellowship with you and in the assurance of eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.